Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences is a proud sponsor of this I Believe podcast. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. All right, we're live on the phone here. So thank you so much to uh, the organization. I'm actually going to turn the volume down that. Uh, so thank you all so much for the opportunity to chat with you today. Uh, I'm excited to disagree again for this wonderful meeting. I wish I could be there in person. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and um, chat with you here tonight. I understand that my slides have been uploaded there. Um, not able to see them, but if you guys could just let me know if they are on the screen there somewhere for, for the audience to see. Yes. Perfect. Uh, wonderful. So, you know, I'm here this morning to chat with you all about the Insight Global Ocular Registry, and I'm very glad to do so. Can you advance the slide, please? Perfect. So, you know, just as an introductory slide, a lot of this is not new saying for in this audience, but as we know, ocular melanoma, it's a real melanoma, which is more common, is about 5 to 6 million annually in the United States. So that's about just under 2,000 cases diagnosed annually in the U.S. Um, as we know, this can be quite a devastating disease of blindness, pain, poor quality of life, spread to other organs, and you know, metastasis, which can be life-threatening. Now, the way I became involved in all of this, um, back in 2015, the Ocular Foundation did conduct a survey with over 300 respondents, and quite frankly, the results were pretty shocking to us in the ocular oncology community. So we unfortunately saw that many patients didn't understand the specifics of their disease, diagnostic testing, treatments, genetic testing that was available, metastatic screening, scanning. And this led to a study uh, that Dr. D'Amato, myself, Brian Allen, and others conducted, uh, which was published in 2018 that showed that over 50% of patients that were surveyed had not been offered dealing with a genetic biopsy of their tumor. Um, sadly, only 13% of patients had been offered any kind of psychological support. And overall, there was widespread dissatisfaction with the delivery of diagnosis um, on the part of the provider. So really, this was a wake-up call for us as physicians to know that you know we really need to be doing better. Now, this led to, uh, we can go ahead and advance this slide, please. Uh, so I'm thinking about, you know, what can we do? How can we better capture uh, the patient's perspective? And, and what can we do to really advance efforts to improve care and outcomes? So not everyone here may know what a cancer registry is. So just to reiterate, a cancer registry is essentially an information system that's designed for the collection, storage, and management of data on cancer patients. In general, registries can play a vital role in cancer surveillance, and they can basically tell us where we're at uh, as treating physicians in the efforts to reduce the cancer burden. Uh, very importantly, surveillance data can also serve as a foundation for cancer research, and it is used to plan and evaluate cancer prevention and treatment. 
and control interventions. If we can advance the slide, please. So the inside ocular melanoma registry uh, essentially has been established for this purpose. So this is really a lead, global leading survey of its kind, uh, a registry of its kind. Um, really, it, it in its current form, I mean, this is a patient-driven registry. So, uh, you know, these are patient-reported outcomes that you guys are able to log in. It's patient or caregiver. And so far, at the time of the last export of data, this was a couple months back, uh, we had 278 patients who had actually fully completed all of the commonly all of the three survey instruments that were on the on the uh, registry. So uh, aside from the information that was collected on patient demographics, so things like your age, um, other medical conditions, where you live, um, you know, ethnic group, race, ethnicity, et cetera, um, there are also three surveys that are on there currently. One of them is the hospital anxiety and depression scale. The other is what's called the FACT-G survey, which is a cancer therapy scale, and also the EORTC survey. Um, all these things together, they essentially capture the ocular status and quality of life after treatment for ocular melanoma. The reason why these three surveys were selected uh, as the initial things to put up on the registry are these are the surveys that have been validated in a number of studies uh, for use in both cancer patients overall and also for ocular melanoma patients. So I wanted to at least share the, uh, the, the results of the respondents that we have so far. Uh, essentially what we found was, was pretty interesting. So, you know, we analyzed the data. So as Melody has alluded to, um, basically, you know, when respondents go in to the system to register and to contribute, you know, there, is, there are a variety of steps. Um, each one of these surveys have a lot of different responses. Um, you know, some of them are pull-down menus, others are basically um, free text where you can put in your data. And so, um, you know, there is an extensive process involved in cleaning the data so that we can actually analyze it in a meaningful form. And so, uh, you know, as Melody had mentioned, everybody who goes in and answers some of the survey, I mean, it has to be actually complete to be able to analyze things and compare apples to apples. Um, so of all the uh, registry participants we had at that juncture about eight weeks ago, 278 had actually filled everything out to completion. So of those patients who did, um, after cleaning the data and analyzing it, uh, we were able to see, uh, after running biostatistical analyses, uh, essentially what we were looking at as a starter was, what are the risk factors for having basically poor quality of life um, being at risk for anxiety, depression after treatment, and also being at risk for having poor quality uh, of the eye, essentially, you know, vision that is considered to be legally blind or worse, or an eye that you're not comfortable with, whether it be dry eye, irritation, pain, et cetera. So what we found is uh, we were looking for predictors uh, of poor quality of life and, and good quality of life. And what we essentially found was patients who had uh, family support and what this uh, means with regards to the survey results, people who have a sibling, uh, a spouse, um, a child who lives nearby, that was associated with a better quality of life. Um, what we found over and over again uh, when analyzing all three surveys, we did see that larger tumor size was associated with poor ocular outcome and quality of life in general. And um, 
you know, we do assume that can be due to the fact that if the tumor is larger, um, whether or not you're being radiated, there's going to be potentially larger areas of collateral damage. Um, also, you might be more prone to be getting enucleated. Um, so those are potential contributors there. We did see that more extensive patient education by the care team was associated with better quality of life and better ocular quality. And um, we do think this is likely due to uh, a better understanding of expectations on the half of the patient, being better informed, knowing what lies ahead. Um, and lastly, um, we did see that treatment choice was also associated with all these metrics in the surveys. So we found that patients needing a secondary enucleation, so that means the patient has already been treated with some form of radiation and later needs to go on to be enucleated. That was especially associated with a poor quality of life. And when comparing enucleation versus radiation with brachytherapy, plaque, uh, or proton therapy, enucleation did have a slightly worse quality of life as well. So these are the preliminary findings of the Insight Registry thus far. Uh, if we can advance the slide, thank you so much. So we're excited to expand the registry. And so future directions that we're looking at, we certainly would like to, you know, increase the survey items that are offered, expand um, the data that's collected. And we'd really like more feedback from, from, from you, from the patients, in terms of what are areas of interest to you, what should we be looking at, um, you know, what is, is, is most pressing to you. In addition, um, you know, you have heard from Dr. Moser uh, from Banner Health. Dr. Moser is very ambitiously working on creation of a, of a tissue bank or a biobank where tumor biopsies can be collected and uh, available to researchers across the country for analysis for the latest in genetic testing. Um, so we are looking at, once that biobank is up and operational, uh, hopefully within the next several months, partnering with that biobank and with Dr. Moser's team uh, in this creation. Of, uh, in addition, a future goal is to uh, also incorporate imaging data with the registry. So what we mean by this is ideally we would be able to incorporate the images of the patient's tumor, like the ocular photo, the retinal photo, uh, from their time of diagnosis. Uh, and Dr. Moser and others are also interested in, in incorporating imaging data from CT scans, MRIs that are done for metastatic surveillance. And finally, we are interested in also linking the INSIGHT registry with other ophthalmic and other cancer registries to really maximize the impact that we can have here. So, what we've learned in our initial experience here with the Insight Registry, there are some challenges, as we know. I mean, ocular melanoma is overall a rare disease. Um, the number of responses that we have so far, it's fantastic that we've had hundreds of people participate. Um, while this does seem high for a rare disease like ocular melanoma, um, it'd be great to have higher numbers in, in terms of being able to have a, a more biostatistically significant sample so that we can kind of really power our studies to, to have, uh, have results uh, that are applicable. Um, it is a little bit challenging. So as Melody had alluded to, uh, on the part of our data analysts, in terms of um, kind of curating the data that we have, um, it can be challenging when some of the surveys are kind of partially responded to, because in essence, you want to complete, you want to include as much of the data as you can. But if surveys are only partially completed, unfortunately, those can't be included in the analyses. And finally, uh, we, we do want to work and partner uh, with the with Nord and with the registry designers to 
really try to kind of streamline the platform and process in order to better enable and facilitate participation. Uh, so with that, uh, we'd like to open the floor to questions and and, uh, and and hear what you guys have to think and say about all this. Uh, so that's a fantastic question, and I think um, I guess I would have to check. Um, you know, basically what we can see on the administrator side of the registry is we see the completed survey data. Um, I'm actually not entirely sure what uh, the participants would see on, on your end if um, the responses are not complete. So I think it's something we need to look at, honestly, um, to see if there's any kind of an alert or notification. I'm not personally aware if there is. Um, if Where do we find these registries? Um, this registry is actually in the user card in the back. Um, it's the inside registry. No, there's only two. Where, I can't tell you where to find the other one because I don't know. I apologize. Anybody else have a question? We have someone online that's asking, they said that their diagnosis changed to suspicious ciliary nevus, and they're wondering if they should still fill out the registry. Uh, Dr. Ashton, you hear that question? Sorry, I didn't hear uh, the two questions. The, the audio was a little I heard that something about the diagnosis changed, and the question was should they still fill out the registry. Uh, if you could maybe just repeat what the question was. Yeah, they said um, their diagnosis was changed to suspicious ciliary nevus. And they're wondering if they should still fill out the registry. Hmm. Um, sorry, I, I heard suspicious ciliary. I didn't hear the last word. I think essentially if there is not a confirmed diagnosis of ocular melanoma, probably would hold off on participating just because if, uh, if you're not presumed to have had an ocular melanoma or been treated, um, potentially it might skew the results of the, of the registry if, if we don't know for sure if that's what the patient has. The last one. Um, so I believe the question was whether or not the information can be provided from the patient's treating physician directly to the registry. Is that correct? That's correct. Wonderful. So um, that's an excellent question. So the way this registry was actually designed really was designed in a manner to kind of empower patients. And so it's really focused on patient-reported outcomes. Um, the other issue around that too is essentially around consent. Um, and so the way this registry is set up Essentially, when patients go on there and are able to contribute, you're consenting, you're providing your information. Um, if you're having it essentially provided by the physician, um, I think while it may sound like you're eliminating a middleman, you're actually adding one in the sense that there has to be a consent process on the part of the, both the patient and the treating team. It also becomes a little more complex in terms of the physician's office sharing protected health information with the registry. Um, different providers and different institutions have various regulatory issues in terms of being able to share patient information. Um, so there's that concern. And also, quite frankly, there's just the logistical issue of potentially 
doctor's offices, physicians maybe not having the bandwidth to be able to manually do all the survey responses. Um, so the other thing, the over, overarching goal of this particular registry is we're trying to capture patient data from the patient's perspective. Um, there's already a wealth of information from the physician side in terms of you know, patient statistics, genetics, and all that. So um, really the focus of this registry is on ocular melanoma from the patient's perspective. So we really are hoping to capture that aspect as well. Any questions? So let me just ask you, Dr. Afshak, what is your hope for this registry to provide for your medical research? No, I think this is not a perfect analogy, but I think um, in general, you know, honestly, people are very familiar with, for example, like 23andMe, um, where, you know, you send off a saliva sample. I mean, of course, that's a propri proprietary thing, but in general, I mean, I think ideally we envision this registry as being a very accessible, constantly evolving source of information and discovery for both patients and for researchers. So it would be fantastic if, if we had a platform that was as streamlined and as user-friendly as possible, which could allow for a mechanism by which patients with ocular melanoma can contribute their you know, contribute their data, contribute their care experience, um, but also contribute things like their imaging, their, their pictures of their tumor, you know, imaging data, you know, when they get scans and things, um, tissue, you know, from either from their biopsy or from uh, blood samples, things like that. Um, it would be wonderful for this platform to evolve, to be honestly as accessible and user-friendly as something like 23andMe, that could be a source of constant connection and just a link to ocular melanoma patients in the medical community to really kind of advance care and advance discovery. So that's really our overarching mission and goal is to really use this as a vehicle to both capture the patient's perspective and know what's important to you, but also to kind of propel discovery forward. What was the most surprising thing that you discovered from the data, if there was anything? You know, it's a, it's a great question. I think overall, um, what's kind of dismaying to me on a provider side is again, seeing things like the lack of kind of counseling for psychological services. Um, there does seem to be still kind of a lack of adoption of, of, of biopsy or at least counseling in, in terms of the potential benefits of biopsy and genetic testing. Um, it does also seem like there's also a wide variety of different cancer screening modalities used um, for metastatic surveillance. And it seems like, you know, patient understanding of, of which modality is best is also kind of all over the place as well. So it would be wonderful if there was a kind of a more standard approach. And we just want to make sure that patients are, are really being given as much education as possible so that they know what they're facing um, and really are given as much support as they can benefit from as well. So I think to me, um, comparing some of this data that we're receiving now to some of the data we saw from the initial survey from, from OMF in 2015, there has been some progress, but I think the needle has been moved kind of incrementally. So I think there's a lot of room for improvement here. Do you think that the presenting this information, looking for rooms of improvement to the medical establishment will help 
think that we'll need to change their minds to offer more uh, mental health services, to offer biopsies. Are you seeing a trend changing? Are we stagnant? Is this something that, that um, we can all work on to, to move in the right direction? We agree with you. We're actually, you know, writing up our results for publication uh, in the ophthalmology journal currently, and, and I think you're completely right. I think the more we can disseminate um, this information with regards to kind of where we're at in terms of the care pathway and, and room for improvement, um, you know, hopefully the better we can increase awareness and, and improve things in terms of improve, in terms of care. Um, but I do think. Again, I mean, all these efforts um, with this wonderful group in terms of increasing awareness, in terms of increasing adoption of not just this registry, but others, um, essentially all these things together can, can kind of help to improve the situation. How, how important is it, do you think, for somebody with a difficult diagnosis to be completely honest in your surveys um, as, you know, um, for, Looking forward with research. Um, sorry, I guess I. I didn't so, if someone has, like, say, a class two diagnosis and they just kind of uh -huh. gloss over it, but they're not 100% honest in their survey, um, how does that affect the registry? Got it. Well, you know, honestly, especially with this registry, because it is a rare disease, I, I can't stress this enough. Every single question, every answer that you provide matters. It really does. And so it is critical to be uh, obviously as, uh, as honest and forthcoming as you can be and really to answer what you have to the best extent that you can. Um, it is definitely a challenge. So this is one of the challenges that we run into with, with rare diseases. Um, so just to give you an example, you know, as one of our areas of research where we're hoping to also expand the registry is we're looking at UCSF at machine learning methods, so using artificial intelligence to be able to better diagnose uh, choroidal melanomas from nevuses and other simulating lesions on photographs. But one of the major limitations that we face is there aren't that many images of these of these tumors, is because it's a relatively rare diagnosis. And so it's the same with these survey responses and really every part of this care pathway. The rarity of this disease it was is what makes doing large-scale research so challenging. So I just want to stress, I know as Melody has, um, truly, you know, every registry participant we get is critical. Every response we get is critical. Um, every question that you can answer is critical in terms of being able to meaningfully gener generate data and, and, and advancing the needle for research and care. So I have photos of my eye from 2010. I'm an eye how relevant is it relevant? Uh, it's a great question. It is absolutely relevant. Um, so it is, is critical. I mean, there are things, one way to think about this is when you're participating in this registry and, and potentially giving imaging data and, and tissue and things like that, what we're doing is there's so much that we don't know at this time. So for example, when it comes to photographs, um, currently, you know, when we examine ocular photographs of people with melanoma, for example, there are certain criteria that we utilize to be able to say, okay, well, this looks like a melanoma versus a nevus versus something else. Um, but we suspect there are things that we don't know. There may be ways potentially to detect prognostic information just based on photographs. Um, so 
it's an area of ongoing research, and the same goes for, for example, CT scan data of somebody's abdominal uh, scan uh, or their chest CT. Um, really, the focus is towards potentially being to identify things early and to be able to identify prognostic features from imaging. And so really providing any imaging data that you have, photographs, scans, and things can potentially be groundbreaking in terms of future research in identifying, you know, basically biomarkers or, or, or risk factors for, for progression or for relapse and for uh, essentially prognostic information. Sorry, I heard, I just, I missed part of that question. If you could just repeat, please. with this information to be able to give them something um, about how important it is. Got it. Uh, so that's fantastic. So there are uh, a number of very helpful uh, pamphlets and patient information that's actually provided by ACIS as it is. Um, we actually do provide this information to our patients um, as part of our after visit summary. Uh, I guess I would defer to Melody. Is there anything specific that you guys are providing lately that's specific to the registry that we can also disseminate to other physicians? I mean, we have the cards. So if you guys look in the cards, uh, the cards that, that we have for new patient packets. So some of you guys have been on the receiving end for new patient packets. In those new patient packets that an ophthalmologist or a retina specialist might have, ocular oncology, they're going to have Insight Registry cards as well as any other pertinent information that we have from Acure Insight, as well as any other resources that they choose to include from other organizations as well. Um, we did have, just kind of as a note, we had a question earlier about what are the other registries. You know, there's, there's two that we know of for ocular melanoma. We have the Insight Registry and the Vision Registry. Both, like we said, are relevant. Both are important. Um, neither is, is supposed to be, like, it's not a competition for, you know, you joined one first, you don't have to do the other. It's, again, very, you know, we want it to be collaborative. We want it to be all-encompassing, and both are important right now as the research is growing and the data is being gathered. Okay, so, um, but as far as, like, the resources, like you said, Dr. Afshar, that the, the doctor's offices have, we have those in place in as many physicians' offices as we can. So if your doctor was someone who did not have information and you know that, please reach out to us and let us know because we can get in touch with those doctors and we can request, um, yeah, ask your doctor, like, do you have resources now or are you part of the Acure Insight resource network where you can get patient packets to give to newly diagnosed patients? All of those kinds of things are available to the doctors, but it's just, again, kind of that communication line and making sure that they're talking with us as patients and that we're talking to them and letting them know um, as organizations what we have available. So um, last couple questions. Let's see. Oops. Uh, this one says, is there a way to contact a known doctor about the registry or registries? Um, so I guess it, this, to me, the, can somebody who has asked this question, can you clarify this? This was an in-person. Oh, it was online. Um, so, yeah, it just says, is there a way to, to contact a known, um, known doctor about the registry or registries? My doctor told me there wasn't a registry. So I guess the answer to that question would just be that there is. <laughs> there is two registries. There are. 
Okay. Uh, certainly, by the way, I'll, I'll add, if anybody um, would like to forward my email information, I'm very happy to chat with any physician or anybody else regarding this registry um, or just in general registries for this condition. Um, so my email is my first name, A-R-M-I-N, dot my last name, which is A-F-S-H-A-R, at ucsf.edu. So I'm, I'm happy to serve as a contact point. Okay, so these last two questions are very relevant to our registry, so I'm going to go ahead and ask them real quick. One of them says, how do I upload? Um, how do I upload my scans or discs from Europe, or I would argue, like, anywhere, really? How do I upload those? Um, so, Dr. Afshar or Melody, can you explain the process? I'm probably better to explain that than Dr. Afshar. Um, when you go into the registry, there's a spot that says Upload Records. And all you do is hit the file, it, and it, it'll go into your computer, and then you download the records. You will have to download those onto your computer somehow, whether you scan your images or you get a disk, a CD disk. You can upload a full CD-ROM to this registry. So if you have a CD, a, a CAT scan or MRI CD, you can actually upload it. It will take that file. But you have to actually manually do it. Um, Hannah, that you all met earlier, is actually part of our registry staff now. So at, um, at, if, there's, if you need help, you can contact myself or Hannah, and we can help walk you through getting your files uploaded. So this final question is, how do I, as a patient, obtain the info that you need um, in order for me to fill out the survey fully, like the size of the tumor, those pictures? So how do I, as the patient, get those? if I'm not really sure how to kind of gather all those things, uh, all of this information. Um, Dr. Afshar, do you have any feedback on that? Yeah, no, it's a fantastic question. So ideally, I mean, some of the stuff is information that you already are aware of. Um, but in terms of like, for example, the tumor size, um, in some ways, really, you can just answer to the best of your ability. So for example, some people don't know. Some people will just put a number down at their number one dimensions. And in some ways, we can figure out what we need to for example, even with a tumor dimension, we can categorize it as being small, medium, and large based on the collaborative ocular melanoma studies parameters and such. Um, but in essence, I can also check with Melody and see perhaps what we can do is provide uh, a checklist on the registry website um, that details some of the information that's going to be asked in the survey um, before you start it, um, just so that it would be a more streamlined method of obtaining some of kind of the basic information on your diagnosis. Um, you know, it would maybe involve even just calling your physician's office and saying, hey, just want to double check, you know, what was the size of my tumor, some of the basic information, um, if you don't already know it in detail. Well, and the other thing too, um, as a patient, and I'm just kind of learning this as I'm requesting my own medical records, but you guys have to keep in mind as patients, our medical records belong to us. They belong to us. And so we can request anything we want from our doctors, and they are legally required to give us those images, those records of notes, um, the diagnostic information. All of that information belongs to you, and it's simply stored in the computer system within your doctor's office at the ocular oncologist or the uveal melanoma oncologist. But that information is yours, and you can request it, just like you can request that it be sent to another doctor. You can request it that it be sent to you and you can have that file or that folder digitally sent to you so that you can then upload all of the information. Um, so just know that that's a resource you can lean into is, is you can ask your medical records 
team at whatever practice um, for those in, those uh, those records so that you can use it and you can upload things directly. Um, like Dr. Afshar said, you can summarize it within the surveys, but you can also upload those supporting documents. So, you know, I think it's a great point. I do want to point out also, though, that, you know, being somebody who does receive a lot of records from other referring physicians and things, and we review new referrals, um, medical records can be very lengthy, oftentimes convoluted, and the information is there for you, but it, it may not be in a format that is exactly user-friendly. So I think it's a great point that you bring up, and I think um, actually it is a goal. I think we would like to work and potentially compile kind of a short checklist that um, you know any patient who's going to be participating in the registry could potentially can just give their physician a call and request a summary of that data for. Uh, just because, again, I mean, ideally, for example, in our clinic notes at UCSF, we have kind of everything listed out in bullet points in terms of the diagnosis comes first, what part of the eye is involved, what is the size of the tumor, things about the metastatic screening, genetic information. Um, but not all notes are kind of organized in that way. Some are more in kind of prose format, and I can see it being challenging for somebody wading through, you know, hundreds of pages mm -hmm. of medical records to kind of find the, the salient points there. So um, message received, and I think um, we can perhaps look into at least streamlining a checklist um, so that you know exactly what to look for and, and to be prepared to fill out the registry. So this is, you know, again, very helpful feedback for us. Um, again, our goal is to try and make this registry as user-friendly as possible. Because I think in that way we'll be able to increase, increase participation as well. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so final question for um, Dr. Afshar and for Melody. Is there a way for us to enter more than one diagnosis? Um, as an example, do you, like if you have an intraocular recurrence, so say you have ocular melanoma, you get diagnosed, and then two years later, it comes back, which we know has happened rarely, but it does happen. So is there a way to note that within the surveys? Is there a space for that? Uh, great question. So yes, there is. Um, so basically, in the sections for diagnosis, um, there are numerous options, and the choices for the melanoma can involve more than one location. So for example, some patients have you know, an iris melanoma. Others will have an iris plus ciliary body, or they'll have a choroidal melanoma that involves a ciliary body. So you can pick if there's more than one area involved. There are additionally um, items that will address in, this, in the registry whether or not somebody has a recurrence, um, has treatment multiple times, or things like that. So it, it is all covered. Well, and what I'm hearing from you, Dr. Afshar, is that if there is something missing that you as a patient are going through this, this survey and you're noticing, hey, I can't put something here and I need to put this here, that's feedback you guys need for the registry to make that available um, so that the, the surveys can be tweaked and updated to reflect what we need as patients to, to deliver the best information possible. Absolutely, that is correct. Okay, well, I think that that's all the time we have for questions. Um, Dr. Afshar, thank you so much for being here. And Melody, thank you for your discussion. I felt like it was very informative. Thank you so much. We're sorry for the technical issues, but we do appreciate Dr. Afshar joining us. We're going to do a break now. Um, again, we're, we're, we're late. I'm sorry about that. Um, up next, um, we are going to have a, a next session. So go out and take a break, and we'll come back. And we appreciate your, um, we do appreciate your time and attention. Danae's got some announcements. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. 
please be sure to subscribe. And if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.